Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Roger Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Roger. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. So it's a lot to be proud of. Uh, but we're probably not that good, you know. Um, you get games like that sometimes. The ball gets rolling downhill. We're appreciative of it. It was a great atmosphere tonight. Um, man, uh, we'll, we'll enjoy this, this long weekend and, and get ready to roll up our sleeves and fight again. Boom. That is a veteran coach right there. Mike Tomlin having a really good grasp of reality of the situation, not getting too high with a big win and not getting too low through some of the adversity they've had to face this year. And Raja, I think this game was a breakout moment of sorts for the Steelers because after they started one, two, and one, myself included was like, oh man, the Steelers team looks like it's about to just fall apart and come apart at the seams. But what you saw last night, I thought was a breakout moment for them bursting into that top tier of teams that really only contains the Patriots and Chiefs. And I think the Steelers, and I hope this isn't an overreaction, like, and I don't think it is. I think the Steelers absolutely are in that conversation. Um, I think, like, I don't know if I want to put them in it yet and that's not throwing any shade at them I just think they're continuing to develop into that and I, I agree with you that last night is another step towards that they looked really really good uh it's one of those games though from both sides more more so probably from the Panther side where like you saw Ron Rivera up at the like stuff happens and those weren't his exact words his exact words were bleep happens but it, it does it's one of those films where You'd like to say, hey, man, we're just not going to watch that. That was a debacle. In an NBA game, you would. In an NBA season, you would because you play the next night. We're not even going to watch that film. That was an anomaly. Um, but from their perspective, right, like what I was impressed with with the Steelers was how they got after Cam Newton. Like, the, you know, offensively, they have weapons, and Ben looked phenomenal. It was vintage Ben. But they really got after Cam Newton. And if I'm a Panthers team that would want to put that film away and not look at it, I don't think you can because – there were some glaring things there. Like Christian McCaffrey is great. He had another, he had another really solid game. 14 rushes for 77 yards. He's proven that he can run between the tackles. Those were a knock on him. That was a knock on him. Five receptions, 61 yards and two TDs. But man, he can't really pass protect Danny. It's an issue for them. And if that's the blueprint, cause they've had a lot of success offensively this year. If that's the blueprint to get him in matchups with linebackers where he's got to pass protect, you got to be concerned if you're Carolina cause they're going to be copycats all over the league trying to get at you with that. Totally agree. And that's so like I thought this was a game that would really tell you which team was a pretender and which was a contender. I know it's corny and it's one of those segments that every show does like contender or pretender. But I did feel like if the Panthers would have been able to go on the road and, you know, even have a closer game with the Steelers, I would have put them in that upper echelon of the NFC with the Saints and the Rams. But because they didn't, I look at Carolina, I'm like, man, they do have some serious problems. And if and they do have problems uh, protecting Cam Newton. But I think that also tells me more about the Steelers and the fact that their defense is significantly better than either the Patriots or the Chiefs, which we all know about the prolific offense that the Chiefs have. You know, Mahomes is putting up monster numbers, 29 touchdowns. He's got all those weapons on the offensive side of the ball. We know what Tom Brady does on the offensive side of the ball, and as Julian Edelman gets more fixed in, uh, in that system and Josh Gordon gets more comfortable, we know they're capable of putting a lot of points. Now we see that the Steelers can put up those type of numbers offensively, but the biggest difference to me in those three teams is that the Steelers have the best defense out of those they're 17th in total defense the Patriots are 28th in total defense and the Chiefs are 32nd dead last 
in total defense. So that's what separates those teams. I'm not ready to go out there and put the Steelers over the hump, like say, hey, they, they're going to go ahead and represent the AFC. I think home field is going to matter. I think you have to wait and see how it plays out. But I absolutely look at the Steelers team and I say the only thing that can put, that can bring them down are themselves. And that's historically been their biggest issue. Like last year, they totally overlooked the Jaguars because they started chirping about a rematch with the New England Patriots and then they fall apart. This year, I think the thing that could be interesting is Le'Veon Bell, who appears to be closer and closer to coming back to that team. What impact does that have within the locker room? Is there any dissension? I don't think it'll be a big deal, Raj. Like, I know it's been a topic of conversation, but players, professional athletes have an ability to compartmentalize stuff and put, hey, that was a business decision Le'Veon has, you know, has made. Now that he's back, let's go to work. I have a hunch that it won't impact them that much. Well, I, I think you're right. The, the only thing, there are two things that can derail this for the Steelers. And we, like, there's no arguing that they're in a much better position to take over, like, the, the supremacy in the AFC now than they were, like, two months ago. So they are, they're on the right track. It's themselves for sure. Uh, but it's also injury, right? And you saw, like, last night, James Conner leaves the field and he's in pro- concussion protocol. And, you know, he left the field. He looked pretty good. Like, when, you know, it's kind of hard. I'm not a doctor, but when he's leaving the field and he was moving around and kind of joking the way he was, hopefully it's just protocol and not really a concussion. But you're one injury like that away from, you know, your season changing, especially if it's at that position and Le'Veon Bell is not back. I do tend to agree with you that professional athletes, like, yeah, your feelings might be hurt or you might not like what a guy's doing, you know, but when he's back and he's contributing to the cause, usually most is forgiven, right? And you figure out a way to put that behind you and go out there. It is your business, right? And so you treat it like that. You go out and you do your job. So I don't think they'll skip a beat. And I think it's even more important, obviously, now for him to come back because you can't afford uh to not have a running game there in Pittsburgh. We've seen what they look like. Um, when they have no running game and they can't go to a running game. Ben is great. He was fantastic last night, but to some degree you had some balance there. When you know he's just dropping back and throwing the ball, um, you, you change the way you play defensively and that offense, quite frankly, looks different. Yeah. Oh, it definitely looks different when they have a run game as great as Ben Roethlisberger is. And he was perfect last night. Literally perfect. He had the perfect quarterback rating of a 158.3. You know, there's only been a handful of guys who have done it. He's done it a few times. Peyton Manning has done it. Drew Brees has done it. Uh, but it was close to the, you know, flawless offensively for them. But it does revolve around the run game. If you go back and look at when the Steelers have faltered, it's been the times when Le'Veon Bell last year was chirping and saying, hey, I need the ball more. And guess what? He was right this season earlier when James Conner wasn't producing as well as Le'Veon Bell. It was the same thing. He wasn't getting the touches of the football that he was then. So they've made that adjustment. I think they realize that. And everything does feed off the run. If they're balanced, they're able to you know, open things up, to keep linebackers and safeties honest in the run game which creates bigger openings for Ben Roethlisberger. Now, the Le'Veon thing is interesting. So he was tweeting last night during the game. He was talking about James Conner, you know, said, James, go crazy then. Uh, later in the game, you know, it was kind of in hand. He said, I think it's safe to stay. It's time to pass the sticks. But the thing that really gets interesting, and I don't know, there's been so many different reports. What and sticks? incorrect reports. What are, what I don't even sticks? know what that Chop means. Sticks? I don't know. Like, is he talking about a baton to James Conner? Like, what's he... This guy Honestly, needs to get him. He needs to do better on his tweets. I gave up trying to figure out what he's tweeting about. At least this one was right side up, so we didn't have to turn the phone upside down or your iPad to have to read it. I honestly don't know what it means, but I do think it's Le'Veon Bell with his, hey, I'm still here. Like, don't forget about me <laughs> moment. And like, but there are some people I've heard that have said, Oh, don't bring him back. Just cut him or let him go if you're the Steelers. 
And I don't think you want to do that because especially what we just saw from James Conner last night, how fragile that position is. Injuries happen. You have depth. And I think it's a pretty easy fix. I don't think you have to start him when he comes back. You start working him in his reps. He hasn't played a preseason. He has to get his legs underneath him. So you work him in, which works out well for Le'Veon Bell because he doesn't want to get hurt until he gets a long-term deal. So you work him into the system. And then you've got depth there, and you've got two really good backs as opposed to just one. So I think it's just a matter of time before he signs. I do think he signs this uh, Tuesday, his deadline, when he has to be there. Although there's some really... Like, there's a lot of conflicting reports out there, and his agent, I think, has bungled this. I think a lot of bigger news companies have misreported this for whatever reason. But he could actually make $25 million if he sits and he gets tagged again. Like, if he just says, I'm not playing, which I right. don't think he's going to do, or else he wouldn't go back to uh, back to Pittsburgh. So there's a little bit of, of guessing whether he'll be back. I think he'll be back on Tuesday. He'll play the rest of the season, and he'll try to get that bigger extension next year. But it's just a complete mess. But it's, again, this team... Raja, this team, I think, thrives under adversity. I think it's just one of those teams. Most coaches hate distractions. They don't like it when their team is infighting. Or I, I think this team is just used to it, and it's not a big deal. And this is just the latest where I don't think it'll be a big deal. Yeah, um, two, two, two yeah, things real quick on that. Like, um, This is one of those situations where a team, you may not want a guy. Like, you may not want Le'Veon Bell back around, but you have to put the priorities of your team first, right, and and their opportunity to win a championship. And having him as an insurance policy is certainly worth it at this point. So you're going to have to put that aside, whatever the differences are personality-wise and contractually, and make sure that you have things in place to chase this championship because you guys have an opportunity to do that. And I agree with you. They're like the person like the that always loves drama in their relationship, right? They're in and out of relationships. They're always talking about they don't love the drama. But then the next relationship they're in, it's a drama-laden like relationship. It, that's what the Steelers are. All right, so let's move on to the NBA because last night, you know, the Warriors, obviously, they're the heavy favorite. They have the super team. But I think Steve Kerr's biggest challenge are, are a couple things. One, he wants the team to stay healthy, which they had an issue, which I want to get to in a second. But they also, they get so bored. And I think that's been a source of frustration for Steve Kerr over the last couple years because they're so good, because they know all they have to do is just get in the playoffs, the regular season becomes boring. And I think there are nights when the Warriors just go out there and they you can tell. And Warrior, uh, Steve Kerr actually talked about it. He said they had, quote, a mindless intent, uh, and they hurt themselves with foul trouble. And he said, quote, sometimes you have to get hit in the mouth in this league to remind you how hard it is to win a game. They allowed 134 points. Uh, 84 of which came in the paint from the Bucks, and it was ugly. And also, to add insult to injury, I guess to add injury to insult, I guess you could say it that way. Yep. Uh, Steph Curry goes down with a groin injury, an adductor strain, which I've never, you know, had one of those, so I don't know what it feels, but it looked pretty painful, which it starts to beg the question, like, where is this Warriors team? How do they deal with this? I think they'll be fine. But it's just another speed bump in Steve Kerr, which I think he has a really tough job trying to keep this team motivated. Yeah, um, a few things. Um, I'm going to need Draymond Green to like close his mouth when he's watching games. Like the, the mouth agape, like <laughs> sitting there, like that's not a good look. Like my grandma would be like, she'd be so pissed. Shut your mouth, son. Um, but anyway, uh, I think this, look, Golden State, once you've been to the finals, as many times as they've been to the finals, there's naturally going to be a, a few nights throughout the course of an NBA season where you're not tuned in. Uh, you're, you're without probably your emotional leader in Draymond Green. So like, like all of that is fine. Um, they should still be better than they were last night. And I think this speaks more to M Milwaukee and where they are as a franchise. I think it speaks more to that than it does to Golden State. Like the story for me last night was Milwaukee and whether Milwaukee is a team that's for real or not. Because you've seen Golden State 
when they lose Steph or without KD or even without Draymond, like they can beat the best teams um, in the NBA. Last night they got steamrolled by Milwaukee. And Milwaukee's been really good this year. They're nine and two. Um, Giannis is having that breakout like N- MVP candidate type season. It's not really breakout, but he, he's taken his game to a whole nother level. And Mike Budenholzer as a coach has kind of brought some excitement and a different style of play to Milwaukee. So last year, for, for example, Milwaukee was 25th in the NBA in terms of threes attempted per game at 24.8. This year they are second in the league in terms of three pointers attempted at 40.5. Um, and that, look, people are like, oh, okay, they're shooting more threes. Oh, yeah, but what it does to the game for a talent like Giannis is what's important because when you have productive, efficient three-point shooting, it opens up so many angles to the basket for a guy like Giannis who doesn't really want to shoot the three, and it allows him to be that much more effective. And so their offense becomes really, really hard to guard. Not only does Giannis have the lanes, but as a three-point shooter who may not be great off the bounce, I was not great off the bounce. If you got me the ball and I had a man closing out on me, that was my opportunity to drive because now my shot is a threat, right? So now I can maybe lift you in the air and I can get by you and there's nothing behind you. I don't have to deal with the seven-foot shot blocker because everyone is spaced out. And so their offense um, is really, really dynamic right now. And they're still very good defensively. Their length Guys like Giannis, guys like Thon, guys like Chris Middleton, um, they are very, very versatile defensively. They are a really tough team. I think the story was more them than Golden State. Adductors are adductors are groins. I struggle with adductors late in my career. They're nagging. It's not something that should like uh like really change the fortune of the Golden State Warriors this year. He's just got to make sure he gets the proper amount of rest, strength, and rehab, and he'll be fine. But I, I think Milwaukee is for real, and people need to be on alert. How real do you think they are? Because coming into the season, the popular picks were either Boston to come out of the East, uh, Toronto to come out of the East, maybe even the Sixers. You didn't see a lot of people say, hey, the Bucks could be the team that comes out of there. Do you think they could be a legit Eastern Conference winner? Like they could represent the Eastern Conference in the finals? Do you think they're there yet? Well, I wasn't ready to say that when the season started, but I picked Giannis as the MVP for a reason because I thought the Bucks were going to take that next step um, into the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. And I wasn't sure whether they'd be in the bottom like of that tier or they'd be in the top of that tier because, yeah, you did have the Toronto if things came together, which they have. Um, you, I, I thought Philly would take a step back, which they, they have at least early in the season. And then Boston clearly with, with the talent that they have accumulated there is really, really good. They got to figure some things out. So to answer your question, Danny, like I thought this would happen. Um, and yes, I do see a scenario under which they could represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. Now, they're not playoff tested. And at the end of the day, after the, after this, the Boston Celtics has kind of sorted out everything there, uh, in the East, cause they have some, personnel issues right now in terms of chemistry I think they're the cream of the crop but Milwaukee could knock them off very easily they could represent the Eastern Conference in the finals so Boston is the uh, Vegas favorite three to two Toronto's the second eight to five odds Milwaukee four to one odds uh you can get them to win the Eastern Conference uh when you look at Steve Kerr what would you do if you're him because I almost feel like do you even bother getting upset? Because he tried so many different mind games last year. Remember he let like all the players do a different responsibility. Like he let them coach the game. He let them lead film sessions. Like at what point do you just throw up your hands in the air and say, you know what? They might not be trying, but it doesn't matter. Like, you know, like yeah. really, like it doesn't matter. Like the regular season doesn't matter. I get him trying to come. He comes out and he skewers in the, in the press. 
but it doesn't matter because they have so much talent and all they have to do is get there and they'll be fine. You've been fighting this this for two years now in terms of trying to keep them motivated. So I imagine everything he could potentially do has been done already. So I don't know how many more like tricks he has up his sleeve in terms of uh, trying to get them to figure out how to stay tuned in during a long, drawn-out 82-game season, especially when like your biggest threat in the Western Conference, uh, the only team that really pushed you last year like that was Houston, and they look terrible right now. So like the, the road to the finals looks even easier than you thought it might be coming into the season. I don't know what you do. At this point, like when we were in Cleveland, you know, LeBron had developed such a taste for the finals and such like a, a confidence in his ability and the team's ability to get there that they just became a team that could flip the switch when they needed to. And I think Golden State becomes that, and Steve Kerr kind of resigns himself to the fact that that's what they're going to be, right? Like, we know we're going to get there, and we can flip that switch um, come April and 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 start playing our best basketball and trend into the playoffs. And quite frankly, I mean, I don't see any other way to do it at this point. They've been to the finals so many years in a row now. Um, those guys are not just physically bored, but like mentally bored, and they're tired. So you got to let them chill, go through whatever they got to go through during the during the regular season. Yeah, you want them to play better, but you know they're going to turn it on late. Yep. And maybe having Steph Curry out for a little bit of time, you know, it'll make everybody else fine tune just a little bit, but it'll be yep. interesting to see how Steve Kerr handles it yet again. All right. I'm going to take a break. We're going to come back, preview the NFL slate this weekend. And as we do every Friday, our guy Barton Simmons, he's going to help us break down the college football weekend. That's coming up next and off the bench. If you're like most of us, you have a balance on your credit cards and a higher interest rate than you would like. Why not turn those balances into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate and start saving money? Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 6.14% APR with AutoPay. You can get a loan from $5,000 up to $100,000, and you can even get your funds as soon as the day you apply. I see my wife's credit card bill sometimes, and I'm like, what is she buying? But you know what? Lightstream's here to help you. Guys like me and you, help us out. My listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low interest rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash bench. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash bench. Subject credit approval. Rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash bench for more information. Tell Sean Payton, keep talking that shit. We're going to see him soon. You feel me? Fair enough. Yeah. Because I like what he was saying on the sidelines, too. So tell him to keep talking that And I hope you see me soon. You feel me? And then we're going to have a good little, nice little bowl of gumbo together. Oh, you got to love Marcus Peters. He is gold in the interview process. And he's talking about, obviously, their game last week when the Rams got beat pretty bad. Uh, Marcus Peters has been underperforming so far. They haven't had a keep to leave. That might be the one weakness that the Rams have. But I think the hidden nugget in there is that Sean Payton is a trash talker on the sideline. Remember, he's yeah. done the choke thing before to different teams. And obviously, he's yapping at Marcus Peters, too. So just something to put in the back of your cap, like just something to put back there when you think about, hey, these two teams could possibly meet for the NFC Conference Championship game. And Marcus Peters, I think, would be motivated more than anybody out there. I love it. I love him going at, at Sean Payton. I, I do, too, if Sean Payton goes at players, right? Like, yeah. And in the NBA, there were always those coaches. I don't. I don't really love coaches talking to players because players can rarely win in that situation. Do you know what I mean? Like you're yep. always going to come off like, hey, you're not supposed to be yelling at a, at a coach. But 
people rarely talk about how the coaches are are involved in the trash talking. So yeah, I'm cool with it. If Sean Payton's like a notorious trash talker over there, and Marcus Peters wants to get after him in the media, here's all I would say to Marcus Peters: You don't really have platform to be talking a whole lot after what happened last week, right? Like so, <laughs> right? Like I right. keep my head down and keep it moving personally, but like I know cornerbacks typically like that's not their style. They got a really short memory and they have to. So I'm cool with it. Yeah, so he's gonna. We'll, we'll have to remember that one. If they meet down the road, we we'll just have to remember that little soundbite coming from there. Yeah. So let's look at the Saints this weekend because they brought in Des Bryant, just signed him the other day. They have a game this weekend against the Bengals on the road. They're a five and a half point favorite in this one. I I'm interested to see how much they incorporate Des Bryant because obviously it's not going to be a big portion of the game plan. He's going to have a reduced package where normally if an offensive game plan has 70 or 80 plays in it that you can pull from, I bet they give Dez a little package maybe of 10 plays where he can study those 10 to 12 plays, know the formations, know where to line up, know exactly what he has to do, the adjustments on those, and they'll be situational. They'll be, hey, it's the red zone package, it's maybe a third down package, and there's just a couple in there, and they'll have those in there. But I do think, much like we saw Amari Cooper worked in really quick with the Cowboys, I do think they'll make a concerted effort to get Dez just a couple balls to get his feet wet and kind of get him up to NFL speed because he has been sitting on his couch for the last eight, nine weeks. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Like you don't, you don't want to overload him with too much information. Let him be really good at a limited amount of stuff. But yeah, I, I think that you want to get him the ball and get him involved in your offense. And the platform should be there in theory against the Bengals who are dead last in the league in both uh, yards allowed per game at 447.8 and passing yards, 319.4. They're on a historic pace, right? They're on pace to be the, to allow the most passing yards in a single season in NFL history. So if there's any team that's going to allow you to integrate a guy on the fly and get him some balls in theory, it should be the Bengals. And two, I, I look at this Bengals team kind of like this is a signature moment of their season, right? Like they could, if they were able to somehow win this game, you'd be like, hey, maybe we need to start looking at the Bengals and taking them a little bit more seriously. But I right. just, I have a real hard time buying into them. They've, you know, they've had a little bit of a stumble after they started off so strong, four and one out of the gate. They've lost back to back. Then they lost back to back games to the Steelers and Chiefs. But you're like, hey, those are the cream of the crop. Those are the best in the NFL. But guess what? That's what the Saints are. So if you want to be considered, in that category, you've got to win like a game like this, especially when it's playing at home. You know, you've got your crowd there and it's your opportunity. Like there are going to be a lot of eyeballs watching this team to see just how good they are. But with AJ Green out with a uh, foot injury, I just look at Andy Dalton. I'm like, you know, I just don't buy into him being a guy that can put this team on his back, which will put a lot more emphasis on Tyler Boyd, who I liked him coming out of pit. He's a really good receiver, but I think they're going to get exposed a little bit because of how strong A.J. Green is in that spot and what a dominant receiver he is in that position. All right, let's move on to do some college football because as we do every Friday, we got to get our guy Barton Simmons in with us. He's going to help us break him down. Barton, what's up, man? Good morning. What's going on, boys? How we doing? Not much, man. So we got a little bit of a funky weekend. Like we've got – and maybe these are those weekends when – you see upsets happen, but it's also the weekend where you're like, you can't see it happening because they're such strong favorites. So let's start it off in the SEC. Bama, you know, put up the, uh, you know, LSU's totally skunked them last week, uh, zero points for LSU. And I think a lot of the conversation last week was, hey, LSU is so tough. They play at home. This is going to be the first test that Tua Tonga Valoa uh, has had to face uh, as a quarterback. And I think we overhyped LSU's defense just a little bit. But now I actually think this will be their toughest test going against Mississippi State's defense, which probably won't get talked about as much as we did about LSU's. How do you think this matchup could play out? 
Yeah, I, I think I'm with you, Danny. I mean, look, LSU's got a great secondary. I mean, one of the best in the country. But in the front seven, particularly on the defensive line, uh, they don't really hold a candle to what Mississippi State's about to throw at Alabama. I, this is the best defense Alabama is going to face the rest of the year, has faced to this date. I think this is the best defense they will face until they get to the playoffs. Um, now, that, that still may not be enough just because of how good Tua is, how good that offense is. And, and certainly, I think Mississippi State's defense is going to need some help from the offense just to possess the football for a little bit. But uh, with, with Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat up front, uh, that, that's a, a unit that can be really disruptive in a way LSU couldn't. And, and then you still got a back end that's really talented with Jonathan Abrams looking like a, a, a day two NFL draft pick. Jamal Peters is, is healthy now and, and looks like a really elite cornerback. And they've got a secondary that I think can, can give enough resistance to at least challenge Alabama. So I, I do think that this is Alabama's best test defensively. Um, and, and I think that's why I kind of turn to, to Mississippi State's offense. And are they going to be able to, to hold up their end of the bargain, end of the deal? Joe Moorhead, it's time for him to earn his paycheck and scheme up some opportunities for Nick Fitzgerald and this offense to, to get the ball moving against Alabama. Uh, Barton, so you got Clemson going up to Chestnut Hill to play Boston College. Um, they've got two ranked opponents left on their schedule. Like, who's got the best chance if there's anybody out there to knock off Clemson? This is the one. This is this is all there is left uh, for Clemson. I mean, look, they're going to Chestnut Hill at night. It's going to be low 30s. It's going to be cold. I mean, Clemson's Southern Florida Carolina guys are, are going to get their toughness tested up there. And, and I really think that Boston College, I mean, even going into this season, as I looked at Clemson's schedule, and you see it right there, I mean, I, I looked at this BC game on the road as probably the biggest test for the entire season. I think as, as this thing's played out, I know A.J. Dillon, the workhorse running back there for Boston College, is, is still a little bit banged up. We'll see what sort of shape he's in. But I still think this is this is the biggest test, and it's not just about a good BC team or, or a spot here. I mean, it's about a BC team that's got athletes. they got NFL guys on both sides of the football. So it's not just about going up there and playing a well-coached, disciplined football team. It's about playing athletes that can actually match up on both sides of the ball. They don't have the depth that Clemson does. And Clemson, I still think, ends up winning this game. And they may even blow it out and win, cover the 20-point number. But I, I think if we're going to see Clemson tested, this is the, this is the weekend – and if they cover that, if they, this is a 35 to 10 type of win or 42 to 7 or something crazy like that, then, then let's stop the Alabama and everybody else talk. It, it, it's Alabama, Clemson, and everybody else. And, and, and honestly, I'm already there. I really do think Clemson's that good. I'm with you, Barton. I think they've, been, I think it's a great spot for Dabo Sweeney because they've just been flying under the radar. Everybody's heaping all this praise on Alabama. Whose, whose defense do you think is better? Cause I think that's a difference maker. Cause I think Clemson's defense is much better. Are you with me on that? Cause we all know about the Alabama offense, but I don't think their defense is being talked about as much. And I think it's for a reason. I think Clemson's defense is what separates them. I mean, I, I agree. I think, I mean, Clemson's got the number two defense in the country right now behind Michigan. And, and, and I think that. Look, that's really my biggest takeaway from that Alabama LSU game is not that they won by a lot or that the, the offense handled the LSU defense. It was really what Alabama's defense did. And, and what I saw is a defense that's improving and that's really sort of turning it up a notch. And so if, if we're looking at an Alabama defense that's sort of coming into to their, their own and, and finding their stride and look, there were so many guys in the back end, particularly in the secondary, uh, who, who needed to grow up this year and, and were inexperienced. 
I mean, those guys are starting to come along now. So, yeah, I do think Clemson has the better defense right now, but this Alabama group keeps on getting better. And if we get another shutout this weekend and, um, you know, we head to the SEC championship game and they handle their business against Georgia, uh, I, I think it's it, you're all of a sudden looking at a, a team that doesn't have a whole lot of flaws. Because that look, this year, heading into the season, it was all about Alabama's offense. And I was like, look, this is going to be an Alabama team that wins different than we've ever seen them win. And it was because the defense was going to be maybe Nick Saban's worst in, in his tenure at Alabama since 2007, the first year. Well, that, that narrative is changing now. I think the defense is starting to live up to the Alabama hype and, and growing up a lot. So it, it got to be a clear advantage for me with Clemson to suddenly a little bit of a toss-up. All right, we got Ohio State at Michigan. First of all, do you agree with the uh, the Michigan State ranking? And then secondly, is there any pass or scenario uh, which you can see Ohio State getting back into the conversation for a playoff? I think, I think Ohio State needs a lot of help. I, I think, I mean, look, if we're – talking about eye test and what these guys look like on the field. I don't know how you look at what Ohio State's done. I mean, when was the last time Ohio State was impressive? Tulane? I mean, maybe we count the, the Penn State game, given that was on the road and they had to come back. But beyond that, when has Ohio State really impressed us? They didn't look that great against Minnesota. They didn't look that great against Indiana. They almost lost to, to Nebraska, and they got blown out by Purdue. I mean, that, that's really the last stretch we've seen. So, uh, I look at this this game, and I think I think we learn a lot about Ohio State. I mean, if, are they really this broken? Because if they are, Michigan State's going to take advantage of it. I mean, that's an opportunistic team. That's a that's a team that that thrives in in this sort of environment where look, they're always the underdog. Um, if they smell a little blood, I, I think that they're going to take advantage of it. So uh, this is and and then then again, maybe Ohio State bounces back and has a great game, and we start to shift the narrative there. But I I don't think that if there's other one-loss conference champions that that have an opportunity at that spot, that they'll that Ohio State will jump anybody. I, I think they need a lot of help. They need two-loss conference champs. And and I, I think that's that's the way it should be. I mean, you can't go and lose by 30 points to a 3-3 three and three football team, even if that's a, a misleading 3-3, three and three, and expect to jump back into the playoffs. I think at some point that what you do on the field matters. And to your question about Michigan State, Look, I don't know what their ranking should be. All these five and four and six and three teams, throw them all together. I mean, this season's crazy in terms of just all these teams that are so similar that could all beat each other beyond that top seven or eight. It, it, this, this national college football landscape is really kind of a mess. But to that point, look, if, if, if this is just sort of a, uh, a demolition derby and everyone's going to beat each other up, I like Michigan State's chances of, of kind of getting out of that and, and, and just toughing through it and finding out ways to win like they've done to this point. Last one I want to hit you on because Florida State's playing Notre Dame. Ian Book, it was just announced a couple days ago, is going to be out for this one, so it's going to be Brandon Wimbush. Brian Kelly doesn't seem to care. He's out there filming videos, reenacting Rudy scenes, like going with the green jerseys. I, I don't think Florida State wins, but I think it could make for an interesting game. Are you with me on that? Look, I think that's big that Ian Book's not playing. I mean, let's remember what Notre Dame looked like in that first three games. Uh, Yes, I mean, they put up whatever it was, 24 against Michigan, but they they barely cleared 20 points against Ball State and a Vanderbilt team that is not that good defensively, we've come to find out. I mean, they averaged, I think, 23 points a game those first three. They've averaged 38 with Ian Book. I mean, Chip Long is is a Broyles Award, Award finalist as the Notre Dame offensive coordinator. Ian Book needs to get sort of a, a, a co-award for that. I mean, it, he's not an, a Broyles Award finalist if, if Brandon Wimbush is still the quarterback. So 
the offense is totally different. It's clunkier. It's it's less fluid. Uh, and, and I think that this presents an opportunity for Florida State to maybe give a scare. I'm, I'm with you, Danny. Now, now that said, I mean, maybe the the senior night stuff and 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 the the, the, the green jerseys energize these guys, and and we'll see. But the the one area where I, I, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm I fall short of being ready to start calling for an upset is is that Florida State offensive line is going to have some problems dealing with that Notre Dame defensive front. I mean, that, those guys will flat get after you. So I trust them to handle their end of the bargain. And uh, and I think Brandon Wimbush will probably get enough done to to win, maybe not cover. But I, I still think Syracuse is really their only their only real opportunity for a loss left on this schedule, which is crazy to say that Syracuse has got yep. a better chance of beating Notre Dame than USC or Florida State. Yep, totally agree. And Vegas obviously doesn't think it's that big a deal. The spread only went from 17 and a half to they're still a 16 point favorite. So not a big move as far as Vegas goes either. So it'll be fun to watch. Hey, Barton, thanks for joining us, man. And make sure you enjoy the weekend of college football. Yeah, we'll do guys. Thanks. All right, Raja. So it's time for me to do the Jedi mind trick because we have to do our picks. Moving the line. It's coming up next. All right. As much as I don't want to do it we have to we have to show the results which have been garbage it's pretty much like the florida state logo next to my name is kind of like appropriate for this season because it's been a rough year for florida state it's been a rough year for me Raja's killing it 17 and 14 so i'm gonna let you lead the way Raja. The tiger's like definitely... pouncing bro you see that that uh i called it a tiger yeah, Jeez, yeah whatever Louise, the panther although they did have a the, the, your uh your panthers did have a rough game this past weekend against fau hey, yo, coming slow me down Danny. Boca. slow me down baby <laughs> All right, let's start off with the Cardinals at Chiefs. Monster spread in this one. The Chiefs, a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. I can't even remember the last time we've seen a line this big. Do the Chiefs cover playing at home against the Cardinals? What do you think? Oh, you know it. Um, Patrick Mahomes, company, Andy Reid. It's going to be a, it's gonna be fireworks there, dude. So I'm going to keep this short and simple. Yes, they cover against the terrible Cardinals. All right, I'm going to say this line is too big. There's too much parity across the NFL. I'm going to say the Cardinals uh, cover. Let's look at the Seahawks and the Rams. Seahawks, this is another one we've seen a couple spreads where, you know, Aaron Rodgers has his biggest spread. This is a huge uh, spread considering you got Russell Wilson on the Seahawks. It's in L.A. Which one do you like this one? Nine and a half point uh, favorite the Rams are. Do they cover at home? Yeah, I think they do, man. I think they're going to be a little PO'd about what happened down there against New Orleans. So I think they cover. It's a big line, and I like Russell Wilson, and the Seahawks are, the Seahawks are kind of sneaky, but I'm going to take the Rams. All right, I think you talk about salty. I think the Seahawks are going to be salty about the Chargers game last week, so I'm going to fade you on this one. I'm going to say the Seahawks cover. Man, I hope these games are close because it's going to be it's, <laughs> I've taken every side opposite of you. All right, the Dallas Cowboys, big NFC East matchup going to Philly. It's been ugly. A lot of talk this week about, hey, what's going to happen with Jace Garrett? Future, Troy Aikman's out there saying they need an overhaul. The Eagles are a seven-point favorite at home. You like the favorite in this one because I'm sensing a trend. Man, I know. I like the numbers, right? And so my gut tells me that this is like a rivalry game and I should not take the Eagles to cover, but I'm going to do it because I'm just going <laughs> to stick with the track. All right. I love it because I'm going to fade you and take the Cowboys. I think these numbers are way too big. NFL, you see way too many field goal games. We've seen them all season long. I think the Eagles win, but not by a touchdown or more. So I'm going to say the Cowboys cover that one. All right. Let's move to college football. This is supposed to be my area of expertise. Ohio State. Little bit lackluster performance last week against Nebraska. They're on the road against Mark D'Antonio, and that Michigan State team is a three and a half point favor. Who do you like? I don't know, dude. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
This is like, who cares? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to take Ohio State to cover since I've taken everybody else to cover. All right. I love it. I'm going to take the underdog again. Michigan home dog. I love it. I so, think this could be one of those late field goal games for Ohio State where they kind of get out of there. But D'Antonio loves to play the role of spoiler. Michigan State plays that role really well as the underdog. So I'm going to say Michigan State. So you're going all in this week because this is either going to be me by a landslide or you get back in the race right here, right? Oh, I'm getting back in the race. All we right. got one last one in Chestnut Hill. Clemson, 20-point favorite on the road. BC is a tough physical team. What are you thinking on this one? Uh, I am going to take Boston College to cover at home. Love it. All right, I am so all in on Clemson that I have no choice but to say that they cover because I've been talking a lot of trash about them, saying they're just as good as Bama. And if they're just as good as Bama, you know what you know, you know what they say, good teams win, great teams cover. I think Clemson's a great team. I think they cover. Boom. All right. There you have it. We are opposite oppo on every Hopefully we don't split all of these. Pick. I want it to be a runaway one way or another. Yeah, well. guys don't stay opposite for socially relevant. So we're starting with the Cleveland Cavaliers because they are 1-10 to start the season. And ESPN analyst Paul Pierce thinks that they could even keep losing to some college teams. Earlier this week, he said, quote, y'all see that Duke game last night? They could beat Cleveland. You heard it here first. So as we know, the Blue Devils got everyone's attention in their season opener on Tuesday, blowing out the Kentucky Wildcats 118-84. to So, Raja and Danny, is this a crazy take by Pierce, or is he onto something here? It's a crazy take by Paul Pierce. <laughs> there are no scenario under which the group from Duke, as good as they are, come out there and beat a group of grown men who most of them have been playing in the NBA for four, five, six plus years. It's not happening. Yeah, this always happens. If people get bored and they want to say, like, it's kind of feels a little too hot takey for me. You get the point spreads put out by Vegas. It always happens with Alabama football. And it was just, you know, it was just a Vegas odds release that they'd be a 20, 28 and a half point underdog against the Bills. They're just stupid conversations. There's such a big difference and a big jump between the greatest college teams and the worst, um, you know, professional teams. I kind of hate when we do these conversations. They're kind of dumb. I get why they do it. You know, it just creates, supposedly creates good conversation, but there's no chance. RJ Barrett's 17 years old, man. I mean, he's great, <laughs> but he's 17. Right. Well, I'm glad you guys agree on something. So from one bad team to another, a seven-year-old is trying to get the attention of Jerry Jones. While watching the Cowboys play against the Titans on Monday night, this little boy, his name is Rylan Wood, he told his mother that he wanted to write a letter if they lost. Well, he did just that. Check this out. He wrote, Dear Mr. Jones, my name is Rylan Wood. I am a seven-year-old second-grade student in Mansfield, Texas. My family has been Dallas Cowboys fans since the team was started. I have a lot of Cowboy gear, and I have met Zeke Taco, Jason Witten, and two other players who play on other teams. Sorry, I'm reading all this because it is just so good. Here's the best part. You have made my mom very mad because, in all caps, we suck every game day. She is yelling at the TV and turns off the game. We are wanting to believe in the boys, but it's hard. I hope Coach Garrett is clapping if this letter gets to you. See what happens when Des X is gone. The cheerleaders are better than the team this year. I do not want to hurt your feelings. Thank you, Ryland. So you guys, as a longtime Bills fan, this is actually so relatable. Any chance that he actually wrote this and not his mom? <laughs> um. <laughs> Listen, what Cowboys need to do is write a letter to Ryland about like his penmanship. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, no, seriously. It. Like, look, this is a beef of mine. Like, parents thinking, like, I already feel like fans think they're way too entitled, right? Like, who cares? Like, Jerry Jones don't care. He's running his franchise. So the parent, you shouldn't make the kid feel like he's got a voice in the damn Dallas Cowboys 
front office because he wants to write a damn letter. So I say, Dallas Cowboys, write a letter back to Ryland. Tell him about his penmanship and keep his damn letters on the line. Tell me one thing. Tell me one thing that was incorrect about Ryan's letter. All he did was present the facts to Jerry Jones. The only thing he left out is he should have said, Jerry Jones, you need to fire yourself. You need to let go of the GM role and fire yourself or else we're canceling our season tickets. Good for Ryland speaking his mind. No, this is going to be like one of those Santa Claus letters where the parent writes back. And nobody from Cowboys organization writes back. So white out. What's up with the scratching it out? Get an erasable pen, Rylan. <laughs> All right. Shutting that down. Lastly, we've got some good news from the Knicks. Coach David Fisdale said yesterday that injured all-star Kristaps Porzingis was at the stage of light running but not sprinting in his rehab from last season's ACL injury. But Kristaps posted to the gram yesterday putting up two photos on his story showing himself sprinting on an outdoor track. I will say these are still photos, so who knows how fast he was actually going here. Kristaps underwent surgery to repair the ACL tear in his left knee in mid-February. The Knicks do not have a specific timetable for his return. So, guys, what do you want to believe? And are, do you think we're going to see him on the court this season at all? Uh, I think you'll see Kristaps at some point this season. It's strange, though, that you would come out and just completely contradict what your what your head coach just said. That speaks to, like, a little... <laughs> Yeah, a little a communication. Run. Yeah, there's a little disconnect there. But, uh, yeah, I think you'll see Chris Stapps at some point this year. But, you know, you're on the side of caution, Nick. So you don't have a lot of things to look forward to. Like, he is one of them. So do not bring him back early, please. <laughs> oh, exactly. That's what I was just going to say. Like, I know he's going to be antsy. He's going to want to get back on the court. But take this as slow as possible. I think you'll see him in the back half, maybe after the All-Star break, back half of the season. They're not going to be a very good team, so kind of work him in there. Hey, Hannah, I got a quick question for you, though. What is this uh, What is this team building uh, that we're going on this weekend? Why are, I, why are Raja and I invited? Team building? Oh, yeah. oh. Uh, sorry, I didn't know you guys would want to be included. We're going indoor skydiving, oh, and you guys were not see, invited. Tough luck. We were, see, Raja, <laughs> that's how they think about us. They don't think we have a life? Like, is that There's all we no understand? way you guys would go. There's no I way. have things to do this weekend. I want to go. All right. I'm busy. Next time. I'll let you know how it goes. I might watch. (laughs) I might not participate. I might just watch. So I'll come back with a full report on Monday and decide whether or not we should actually make this a real thing. Coming up after the break, Danny and Raja run through today's leftovers, including a little surprise bonus hockey quiz. Uh Uh-oh. Get ready, guys. Come on back with Off the Bench. Please do it, Danny. Do it. Do it. Do it. We need to mic up during the commercials just so you can hear some of the conversations that take place. We're going to have a little fun with pronunciations. We almost had a blunder on the show live on air that might have got us in trouble with the uh, FCC uh, pronouncing some of these names. But before we have fun with Quinn's uh, uh, idea, uh, Quinn works on our show. She does a great job. She has a little pop quiz for us with NHL hockey names. We gotta talk about the Houston Rockets, cause they've been bad this year. Four and six on the season, they've been a train wreck. We thought, you know, Carmelo Anthony coming would solve some of their offensive problems, their defense would be an issue. They bring back a defensive coordinator, uh, to help them on their issues. Are they broken beyond repair, or can they salvage the season? Who came back to, what, a coach <laughs> came back? Jeff. Yeah, oh, Jeff, Jeff came did. back, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I don't think they're broken. I think that they, They've got to reinvent themselves, right? Mike, I know Mike can do it offensively. Uh, I think he probably came into the season thinking that what they did last year was going to be, you know, what they could do this year to get wins. And it clearly isn't working because offensively they're really struggling. Um, they're missing a few of the pieces that he might not have thought were that integral to what they do, but clearly they were. So now you got to kind of reinvent who you are offensively to some degree. I'm not saying like scrap the whole philosophy uh, that Mike has approached that team with, but you've got to tweak it for sure. And I do think that Coach Pizdelli coming back is going to help them uh, uh, lock down a little bit 
more on the defensive end. But they look, they got to do some soul searching. They have to figure out what this version of the Houston Rockets um, needs to look like to get wins. And it's not what last year looked like. And that, you know, that the jury will be out on whether or not they're a, a high level Western Conference team until they figure out what they need to do to get wins and, and string a few together. Definitely, Coach Pizdelic is a huge addition. That's definitely yeah. going to be the difference there. At the end of the year, we're going to save this piece of sound right here. At the end of the year, who has a better record, the Rockets or the Lakers? Ooh. At the end of the year, the it's all said and done. Houston Rockets have a better record than the Lakers. All right. So you're saying that would be fine. Like, it's kind of the same boat with the Lakers, too. Like, a lot of this is, yep. hey, a lot of conversation because of the high expectations, but they'll get it figured out. They'll probably all be there. And they both make the playoffs, right? Um, yeah, I think they both make the playoffs and I wouldn't rule out the Rockets. The more desperate they get, um, the more they're going to take those swings at Jimmy Butler and maybe try to get somebody else in there potentially. And that could really change the fortunes of, uh, going forward. All right, cool. All right. So it's Friday. You know, it's Friday. Friday. Yes, right. The weekend is here. So we got to have a little fun before we uh, start our weekend plans. Okay. So Quinn came up with an idea that we are going to try to pronounce some hockey players' names. Yeah. There are some funky ones, and we've done highlights. Thank goodness we don't do hockey. So we'll throw them up there. We try to do our best. I haven't seen these. You've been Googling some stuff, doing a lot of research, like doing the phonetics, like trying to get the pronunciations. Yeah. I haven't done any, but this is a gift of mine, the ability to just go with pronunciations. It's a rare okay. gift. It's a I gift. I figure it out. It's a yeah, gift. it is. All right, it let's is. do it. All right, so the first one is up. That one's easy. It's Slater Kokix. It's Slater Kiki, bro. Like, do you love me? So, Slater oh, yeah. cuckoo, cuckoo. Ah, no, it's not. It's cuckoo. 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 Oh man, cuckoo for cuckoo. Cocoa Plus. Do you feel me? No. Uh huh. <laughs> All, All right. right, next. One. You go first. Um, Andreas uh, Athanuso, Athanus, Athanusu, Andreas uh, Athanusu. It has to be Andreas. It has to be Andreas Athanusu. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? Andreas was right. Andreas, Athanasiu. Athanasiu. you. Like if you live in South Florida, they might say, I'm Athanasiu. Right? It's true. That's a good one. All right. Dustin Bafuglian. Bafuglian. Dustin Bifuglian. Ooh. Dustin Bufflin. So the Dustin Bufflin? Get the hell out of here, Dustin Bufflin. Where are these guys? Can I buy a vowel out there? Jeez, these guys are tough ones. All right. Do we have more of these? Oh, boy. Wait a second. That's not a real name. Shane gots to be here. Shane gots to be here. That can't be a real name. Hey, you're close. You're close. It's Shane gots to be here. Gostis be here. (laughs) Shane gothis bear. All right. See, I think you guys are playing games with us. I don't think I'm going to need the origin. I'm going to need the country origin of these names, and I can phonetically work it out a little bit better. Like, Impossible right, when I don't one. know what country we're dealing with. All right, now the J historically you don't pronounce, so I'm going to say Nicholas Hallmarson. I'm going to say with my best key and peel, Nicholas Jalmerson. <laughs> Nicholas Yarmerson. 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 By the way, that key and that key and peel skit when they did Fantastic. the all stars, the best that we've ever seen. What was, what was his? What was uh um? What was the kid's name in that? Which one? What? Oh, man. I <laughs> hey, is this segment going to survive? It's Blocke. Uh, That's Balake. the one I love. Blocke. Who's the teacher? <laughs> <laughs> Blocke. Hey, Aaron. <laughs>